0: That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average Talk is Jericho, baby, talk Jericho, talk Jericho, mama, talk, is Jericho, mama. talk is me. All right, welcome to the Pod of Thunder and Rock and Roll. It is Friday, and here we go with the Duff McKagan joke of the week. The dad was washing his car with his son, and so the son said, Hey dad, next time uh, can we use a sponge? Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Duff McKagan. Ah, yes. What a groaner, as usual. What we've come to expect here on... uh the Duff McKagan joke of the week. So cool for Duff to uh, call in and leave those uh, little gems every once in a while. Uh, today, on a serious note, it's been 20 years to the day almost that the wrestling world lost Brian Pillman, uh, the late great Brian Pillman. So I went and talked to uh, my friend Dave Meltzer, the Wrestling Observer, who was a good friend with Brian Pillman. I wanted to go back and reflect on the life and times of this very interesting and unique individual. Dave became really good friends with Brian over the years and started covering his career almost from brian's first days at stampede wrestling so today we're going to talk about how brian got into wrestling his run at wcw the hollywood blondes tag team with steve austin the loose cannon gimmick and how brian ultimately used that loose cannon gimmick to get his release from wcw and then negotiating and eventually signing with vince mcmahon and wwe in one of the craziest double cross swerves of all time you're not going to believe the story if you're not familiar with it we'll also talk about some of his great matches and the days leading up to his death Dave Melzer talking about Brian Pillman coming up today on talk is Jericho 20 years after he passed away but before we get to that Fozzie's been having a blast on the road with Gemini syndrome and the stir the shows have been awesome the crowds have been great the biggest uh, uh, tickets we've ever sold uh, uh, in the States on this tour it's been so much fun and we're winding down a few more dates before we head to Europe tonight uh, we're at the world live at the Queen in Wilmington Delaware come check us out tomorrow. Tomorrow night on Saturday, October 7th, Jacksonville, North Carolina at the Tar Heel Opry House. That's going to be a good one. Then we finish up this short run on October 8th in Winston-Salem, North Carolina at Johnny and June's Ultra Saloon. Uh, Come check us out. It's a great rock and roll package. And then, like I said, the Judas Rising Tour is going all the way to Europe starting October 27th in Birmingham, England. And then we go to Dublin, Belfast, Halloween in Chester, Manchester, London, Sheffield, Glasgow, Newcastle, Amsterdam. Then we go to Aschaffenburg, Germany on the 8th. Prettown, Switzerland. Head over to Italy, for Roncade, Rome, Trezzo. Uh, And then Vienna is on the 14th. Munich, Essen, Hamburg, Gank. Get your tickets at fozzyrock.com and also be a part of the best VIP package in the business. You will get to hang out with us. You get to see us rock and roll. We play a mini concert for you where we do songs that we're not going to hear anywhere else. I think we did... um, uh, quiet riot uh metal health and we did tnt last night cold gin we do a lot of those type of tunes lots of fun uh, and the new fozzy record comes out october 13th just one week away here is the second song on the album and the second song you hear when you come see us live this is the critically acclaimed kick-ass rocker drinking with jesus right here on talk jericho. In the jericho drinking with Jesus, the new one from Fozzy, it's going to be on the Judas album, which is coming out next Friday, October 13th. We are just one week away, like I said. And thanks to everyone who's already reserved their cabin for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Wow, we've already uh, made quite a few sales. It's been great. And remember, it's happening next October. Not this October. Not in two weeks. Next October 2018. Lineup is stacked. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com for all information. Or subscribe to Talk is Jericho at Apple Podcasts, so you can be the first to know who else is joining the Rager at Sea. So far, Master of Ceremonies Chris Jericho, hosted by Jim Ross, about to announce the uh, co-host, his illustrious co-host this week. We got Mick Foley doing comedy. We got Raven doing comedy. We got Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat Ray, Mysterio, uh, Lance Storm, and today's guest Cyrus from Killing the Town. The Keeping It One Hundred crew is going to be there. and Disco Inferno, Shane Helms, also Beyond the Darkness, Tim Dennis, and Dave Schrader going to be scaring the pants off. Off of you doing some live paranormal uh, uh, ghost story hours type of thing. Busted Open's going to be there. De La Greca, lots of the good cats. And also on the bill, Fozzie, Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons, King, The Dives, The Dave Spivak Project. That's right, Speewee's bringing his brand of rock and roll to the cruise. Jim Brewer is Loud and Rowdy. The best female ACDC tribute band in the world, Shoot to Thrill. The best Ozzy Osbourne tribute band in the world, Blizzard of Ozzy is going to be there. And of course, The Piece de Resistance, The coup de grace. Ah, ring of Honor presenting the Sea of Honor tournament aboard the ship. Matches happening in the middle of the ocean on a ring on the pool deck. We had to have an engineer come in and make it uh, make it stable, make it sturdy. And the best part of it is this. Okay, let me tell you. When you when you hear who's going to be representing Ring of Honor on the Jericho cruise, it's going to blow your mind. This is not uh, Saturday afternoon opening match job, guys. These are the top of the top. The creme de la creme. And remember, most importantly of all, the winner of the Sea of Honor tournament gets the title shot. a future title shot for the ROH World Heavyweight Championship. So there's a lot at stake here. And you can get all the information at chrisjericho.cruz.com. You can even reserve your room for as low as $150. You can make a $150 deposit, and that's going to hold your spot. chrisjericho.cruz.com chrisjericho.cruz.com don't wait! It's going to be amazing. The first four hundred uh, cabins booked get an uh, exclusive Q and A with Chris Jericho. And if you book by uh, January fifteenth, I believe it is, you get to take a picture with me. And the list. All right, lots more to go. Lots of fun stuff coming up. Dave Miltzer coming up to talk about Brian Pillman. Talk is talk. Is, talk is Jericho. All right. So um, you guys went and saw a movie this weekend. In the theater. Yeah. Which, yeah. which, which did you go see?
1: It. it. It's your boy scrambled egg. We saw it.
0: <laughs> now were you scared to cuz th- cuz I wanted you guys to go at first and then yeah. you didn't know if you'd like it or not so you watched the original it which was a TV movie.
1: Yeah. So, so stupid. Not- it wasn't as scary. I was like <sighs> oh, you were like in, yeah. Yeah. in the movie it wasn't the like the one we got went to see in theaters. I didn't it wasn't as scary as I thought. Yeah. But there was this one jump scare. Not really a jump scare but this one part where it's like they opened the door. No, don't don't say anything. No, it's okay, there's no spoiler. Oh, okay. Answer, go ahead. They open they opened this door and there was like not a girl there. She was hung up, her hands were hung up with chains and she had no legs. And it was so scary cuz it's like they didn't see her at first, but when mm-hmm. they turned on the light, you could see her. Oh. And that was the one the on, the one part that only scared me.
0: So tell us the basic plot of the movie.
1: All right. I got my explaining cap on, so um, basically there's this. But the, I just want to say something before I do explain. The Georgies in both of the movies they were they looked really similar though. Really? Okay. Like, so, yeah.
0: Because this one was just about the kids, right? They didn't go back. And
1: yeah. Forth and yeah. There's out. there's a chapter. It said at the end of the movie, it said it chapter one. There's so chapter
0: in 2019, two thousand nineteen. Two yeah. thousand
1: yeah. nineteen. Yeah. Okay. So tell us a quick overview. Of All right. Cap. So there's this creep. Clown lives in the sewers and his name is Pennywise the Dancing Clown. He comes out every twenty seven years to feast on fear on kids or adults, but mostly kids. And um the this movie is about this time where these like group of kids and it happens to them and it like kills Bill's he's the main character, George's little brother, and like so they find the clown and try t- and uh, kill it and that's pretty much it, but it's it's really good. There's. Like,
0: well, hold on, Shy, Shai. What, yeah. what do you have to add to that? Cause he changed himself into different.
1: Yeah, he changed himself into like fear. So like, let's say.
0: If um, you're scared of werewolves. Yeah,
1: he turns to werewolf if you're scared of like blood. He'll turn like he'll find somewhere where you could just throw blood on you. And if you're like um, if you're scared of. Since Bill, you see the original, and since Bill is, like, his fear is kind of Georgie, he turns into, like, Georgie all the time to scare Bill. So Georgie's
0: know. one of the characters.
1: Yeah, Georgie. He's the bully, right? No, Georgie's is the, um, he's Bill's Henry little is brother.
0: Oh, Georgie's the one that gets taken into the sewer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, it's But his death scene is so much better in, in this movie than the uh, but it's so, original it's so, one. It's so sad because he's just there with his arm bitten off, and he's like screaming. Yeah. A banshee, but like there was this lady, and she wouldn't help him. But she didn't he- see him. I know, but she saw him talking into the sewer, and then... She came out, and she saw a bunch of blood, and no, she didn't no, no, do no. anything. She saw him looking in the oh. sewer because, like, you know, with some kids you just randomly do that. Like, if I've seen, I've seen, be, I've done that before, like, looked in, like, a grade or something. So she went back inside, and when she came back out, there was this pool of, like, red stuff. And then that's when she ran inside and called 911. Juan no, she didn't call. She didn't call the police. Yeah, she did, cause she was the only one that saw and knew. They, the other people thought they, they thought he was missing. I know but she didn't tell the police. She only, she only told. Like she didn't tell the police. Like then later when they. I'm no, sure. she told the police. She did not tell the yes, police. Yes, she did. She did not tell the yes, police.
0: Okay, hold on. So let's she talk. talk about... What was, the okay, police. let's go. This. What was your? Who are your favorite characters in the movie?
1: Mm, okay. Uh, I liked Richie a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. There's
1: this one line, like Richie's
0: the like the, com- like the comedian.
1: Yeah, but he plays Finn Wolfhart in Stranger Things. But he had like they were in. Oh, that's the kid it,
0: from Stranger Things. Yeah. Okay. They
1: called it gray water where it's filled with like poop and pee and all that stuff. So they went into the sewer, and then he. Hold up a stick, and then Eddie's like the germaphobe, so he didn't like it. And he's like, It doesn't smell like caca tell me, senor. <laughs> and that made me laugh really hard. So that's, you,
0: that's your favorite? Yeah,
1: so that's our joke now. I really like Richie, and I like Dev really a lot. She's really pretty.
0: What's your favorite? Who's your favorite character, um, I liked,
1: um, I really liked, yeah, I liked Richie. Um doesn't smell like she caca. He's character <laughs> because. In this one scene, he said, like, um, he was walking into, like, he was walking into, like, the house that where the clown was, and he was like, what was it? I forgot what he said, but he said something, like, really funny. Like, he saw it, and then he instantly regretted it, so he was like,
0: <laughs> He was he so bad with
1: saying There's it. a lot of, like, f bombs and stuff. Yeah, so that kind of made it funny? Oh. So, yeah, so like so like when when he when he looked around, he he looked around and he was like f. He yeah, was like, he was like He was like, eh. he was like and then we're like eh. <laughs> and then he was about to walk out but then he yeah. was like Ritchie, come on. Yeah. <laughs> he went with
0: us. So what was your favorite scene from the movie?
1: Um, well, your favorite part. Uh I okay, I Really liked the uh, setup of of Pennywise's like domain. Like it's his lair. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of creepy. Like it's all the stuff that the killed kids have building them to a tower, and then above is like all the dead kids swirling around with like lost Ooh. arms and legs and Gross. stuff. It's weird, but it's the setup is really cool. But my favorite that that was my favorite like scene. But my favorite like part. Because where like they were in the house, and then they saw all like the layer and stuff, and it, like it goes into the well house, and it was like Michael's old house that got burned, and that's how his parents died. Mm. So it's like. It was a really cool setup and stuff, and the scene was funny. But my favorite line was, it doesn't smell like caca to me, senor.
0: <laughs> what about you, Shaw? What was um, your favorite scene? So
1: my favorite scene was probably like, mm-hmm. my oh, my favorite scene was when they went and like, there was this one kid, he was part of like the bad guys. Like,
0: like the bullies? Yeah, the bullies.
1: And he went into the sewers. And his fear was zombies, and he had, like, hairspray with the lighter, so when you spray it, it, like, flashes, and when he sprayed it, it, like, flat and then he just saw, he thought it was the kids he was looking for, and when he saw all the zombies, he tried to, he, like, he ran, but the zombies got him, oh, okay. and he couldn't get out of the sewer, because that was pennywise's trick cuz once he got into the sewer there was he made it where it's like it looked like an illusion so he couldn't get out Uh-oh. but then my favorite like my fa- that was my favorite scene my favorite part was probably when um so it captured Bever- Beverly and when she was in the sewer trying to get out, it was like introducing Pennywise <laughs> the dancing clown. And he started um he started doing this move with like ego it's like the Irish jig. Yeah, of. the Irish and then he like his face was like this while he was doing it.
0: He's real serious.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like and then then as she was running he kept doing it and then he just bounced. It was so funny because he was like, he was doing it all serious and then he just got like super serious and he just went. That was yeah. my favorite part.
0: So, so it was your first scary movie. Were you guys scared at all?
1: Mm, it wasn't no. that scary. No, well,
0: that's good. I
1: want to see there's a new movie called Happy Death Day. Oh. and it's on October 13th on a Friday, but it looks really good and I really want
0: to see that see one. It. Um, so overall what do you give the movie out of ten, Sarah?
1: Um yum, 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 yum Drum roll, please. I give it a mm, ten out of ten. No 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 a nine point nine 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 nine. Wow. I didn't give it the one I didn't give it the point one because um it wasn't like that scary for me, but it was a really good movie and there were some jump scares and it was okay it's good i give it like a 9.5 because um it wasn't that scary like to you 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 wouldn't think it was a scary movie at all mm-hmm. and to me being a lot younger than you no offense but um,
0: <laughs> how old are you guys
1: a lot younger uh, than we're uh, 25 bah. <laughs> um, and so how old are you really uh, 11 one one eleven, 11.
0: Yeah. well that's so good like, your first it, was sc- like,
1: yeah. it wasn't because it wasn't like it wasn't scary like as I thought it was I thought it was gonna be a lot scarier and the thing was they did really good on like design stuff but that like yeah they could have just made it a lot more scarier than it should than it like. been. you'll think what, it's a um, good movie though
0: what uh um tell people about your uh about your vlogs before we go um, where, where can they find you?
1: Well, we're on YouTube. W-w- slash slash and shy and shy vlog slash YouTube at www. YouTube.com. youtube. Com. or it's youtube. com/ccnchivlogs. So, but um, we haven't been posting for a couple of weeks because we're working on a track to ourselves. Oh. Let's call it the roast yourself challenge. But we're making, we will make it. One will be up next or this Friday because we're making a Halloween series now where we have like a new Halloween intro and we're going to make a Halloween video. All right.
0: Yep. We'll have to check that out. All right. Everybody go check them out. CC and Shy's (laughs) vlogs. Vlogs with a V.
1: It does smell like caca to me, senor. Goodbye. Bye.
0: Hey, this is Chris Jericho inviting you to the first ever rock and wrestling rager at sea. Picture this. Rock and roll, wrestling, comedy, live podcasting, all on the open ocean from October 27th to the 31st, 2018 from Miami to Nassau. I'm bringing Hall of Fame wrestlers, some of the greatest rock and roll bands on the planet, and putting the first wrestling ring on a cruise ship ever. Don't be a stupid idiot. Make the list. Check us out at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadores in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos, eh, amigas. See, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. Hawk is Hawk is, is Jericho. All right, so uh, we're here with uh, with Dave Meltzer, which is the first time that we've ever done this in person. You've been on the phone a few times. Right. But in person, it was always a little bit better here in your hometown of uh, in San Jose. And uh, I had an idea a couple months ago. I was watching, I went through this phase of watching Stampede Wrestling where I hadn't seen it in years and I found a guy who had them all on YouTube Mm -hmm. and I just started watching all the episodes and just watching all my favorite guys and and Brian Pillman being one of them and remember how much I loved Pillman and just the whole concept of what Pillman did throughout his career. And I think he's almost a a forgotten guy at this point in time, how good he really was. It's 19 years. Right. 19 years since he passed away. Since he passed away, right. Right,
2: as we're filming this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah.
0: exactly. So I I wanted to talk to you because I know that you uh were fairly close with, with Billman yeah. and also the fact that you know kind of the whole story of his of his career and all that sort of thing. And because um, like I said, like he's there's he's such a complex performer in so many different ways. Yeah. You know I mean the thing
2: that, that is in this nineteen years, there's really nobody that's come along like him, but the one guy who really reminds me of him now is Matt Hardy, in the sense of completely reinventing a character, being that character, you know, you know, like all the time, um, and being kind of like this, you know, you don't really know how to take it. But when you really keep watching it over and over again, you go like, the guy's like really like kind of a genius mm-hmm. to pull this whole thing off, right? And and I mean like with Pillman, like I didn't really like when he started doing it. I didn't really like at first. It's like he, it's like what are you doing? I don't understand this at all. Kind of
0: this loose canon character, right? Yeah.
2: But and 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 he would come up with these you know the crazy ideas, you know,
0: like the you know the handcuff handcuffing himself to the ring post to the goal post of the Super Bowl. No, let's talk about this. So 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 Brian basically and we'll talk about it a little bit about before but he he basically reinvented himself as the loose cannon. right? Which was this character who would go off at any point in time, do all this really crazy weird stuff, but nobody knew for sure if it was legit or if he was playing a character. He was that good at it, correct?
2: Right. And it was a it was like the thing is is like he would go, I mean the most fast his the story is really fascinating because he, he would let guys in but he really didn't let anyone in 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 the sense that when they were working everyone in wcw you know it was like him bischoff and sullivan but at the same time he was completely working bischoff and sullivan because you know like i mean he got a legitimate he goes to make this thing look real you know you gotta give me a release and it's like i okay, will give you a fake release no 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 we gotta fool the whole office we gotta fool everyone because no one's gonna believe that you fired me unless all the paperwork's there he will get out this is how it is these days so they gave him like a legitimate release in the middle of his contract and they started negotiating with Vince and they were going like, it wasn't really, really, a release. Was, no, it's, I got a release. I'm, you know, so he started because the whole idea was to get that release and bid the two sides against each other to get as much money as possible and to get, you know, in the best position possible. So it was like, but those were the guys who thought that they were like, we were the only ones in Brian's like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he was, you know, wor- I mean, he was working everybody. Right, right, right. When did you start to get to know Brian? there's a guy named Kim Wood who was the strength coach of the Bengals who was like Brian's father figure because Brian's father died when he was young and then when Brian went to the Bengals, um, they got really close because um, Brian was really interested in lifting and Kim Wood was like, for that era, was like a real expert on all the lifting and all the history and things like that and Kim Wood was a huge pro wrestling fan. Not not I, I shouldn't say a huge pro wrestling fan but he was a, a big enough fan that he read everything I wrote and mm-hmm. he was like a big supporter of mine from early on and he was the guy who like got you know, my stuff read all over the NFL because it was like, you just got to read this stuff. It's whatever. Okay. But anyway, so so he, when Brian's football career ended, and even before Brian's football career ended, he always, you know, he knew Brian's football career was only going to last a certain length of time. Brian was obviously small for he the NFL. He was so small. Yeah. Yeah, for his position and everything. But the whole thing is, is like, what's he going to do after football? And Kim thought with his personality and look and everything, that he'd make a great pro wrestler. And as it turned out, by luck of the draw, he ended up, playing with the Calgary Stampeders so Kim was like you're like in the perfect place to learn to be a pro wrestler because they got wrestling in Calgary and it's the hearts you know and so it was kind of like you know the heart dungeon you know you know all those stories right right sure so so that's where he got started so I would say like right around the time he got started like we kind of knew each other and then as time went on in, in Stampede um you know we got to know each other you know we would talk all the time and then for the rest of his career until he died, we talked you know pretty regularly.
0: Mm-hmm. When you talk about Stampede in that, in that era of like the mid eighties to late eighties, there were so many great performers there because they were really starting to adapt. You know, I guess you would call it the junior heavyweight style, the cruiserweight style, the but Japanese it, it, was, thing, it yeah. was more than that though. Yeah, it was, it was a real combination of Japanese, European, some lucha, and just the Canadian style, which is very hard hitting. And Brian, along with Chris Benoit and Owen Hart and Beef Wellington and all those guys who are all passed away incidentally, which is really weird, but yeah. they were all really great. Performers and kind of breaking the mold of what wrestling was, and Brian was 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 so agile uh, at that point in time.
2: Right, right. And the other one is Bruce took a Bruce Hart took a liking to mm-hmm. Brian and, and made the tag team, and it was like Bruce, I, I always it was sort of sort of like Bruce's fountain of youth that he would team with Brian yeah. and,
0: and play like the Rock and Roll Express type of gimmick, right. right? And and everything, and even though Bruce looked nothing like a rocker, <laughs> yeah. And, and Pillman had this good-looking guy, long hair, and Bruce just you could tell,
2: yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But they like did that, and and you know Brian loved Bruce. I mean, it was like because even like when he was doing the character, I would say that the the, the guys that he really confided in the most um, were Bruce, Terry Funk, and uh, and Kim Wood for sure. Oh, really? Yeah. So Bruce
0: as well at that. Point. Yeah,
2: yeah. He was definitely like Bruce was definitely in on it and 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 not being worked hmm. as as best I could. I mean, I I don't know, but I could tell from talking to Brian like when he would go like. You know, just ask for different things. But it was like, um, when he was coming up with his ideas, he would always, those would be the guys that he would pitch them to before he would do them. Sometimes he would pitch them to me, but I would always go like, that's too wacky, so you know, he stopped pitching to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, you know, because they're just so out of the box. Sure, right? sure, sure. Yeah. But you knew right from the start, as soon as you saw Pillman on Stampede, that he was going to be going places.
2: I thought so. All yeah. those guys like Owen Hart, yeah. you know, because they were just, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, he had the
0: right, the right look and he was… But they're all good-looking ex- guys and they're all uh, very agile, like you said. And, and really good wrestlers. Yeah.
2: In the sense of, you mm-hmm. know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. I thought, I mean, it was funny because it was almost like… Um, when I first started watching the, the well, I mean, I watched the Stampede and the Bret Hart Dynamite Kid days too. But this was like the revival of it. When, it, when it, you know, and, yeah. and, and I would like cover it pretty hard in the newsletter, and people would always go, "Why are you covering it? Why are you covering it?" I go, "Because these guys are all going to be something." You know, I, I mean, you you knew. I mean, sure. If you, yeah. if you watched it, you know, you knew that like Owen Hart was going to be a big star. Yeah. And and you know, so it was yeah.
0: I think you know the first time I'd ever seen a lot of that stuff, and most of it was Owen doing this stuff I'd never seen. But the first guy I ever saw do a springboard was Pillman, Air, Air Pillman. He called right. it springboard clothesline, and I couldn't believe, like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? Like you'd never seen that before, right? You know. But he was he he, he had was he a fan of of lucha? Was Brian a tape watcher? He he was a tape watcher. He became you know what it was funny is I don't think he was a fan
2: of Lucha at the start, but he want, he was a fan of the Japanese high flying, you know, the Jushin Liger and, right. and, and and Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid and those guys because I think he saw at his size these were the guys, you know, that, that were, were that was the way he was gonna make it. He wasn't gonna make it by like everybody else because of the size thing. Mm-hmm. But I know that a couple of years later he got real interested in Lucha when he met with Conan and I, the other thing that she told me was like, he really wanted to go, I'd say in the early nineties, he wanted to go to Mexico real bad, probably around the time you were, you were living there. Mm-hmm. And the reason it was like, when he was in the United States, he was at this point, you know, he was kind of like in the middle of the card, you know, just a guy. And I think he saw that like, if I could go to, but he was already in contract with WCW, but it was like, Oh, if I could get a tour down there or something, I mean, I, he was so into, he wanted to be a main event or so bad. And he, he thought like, if I went down there, you know, size doesn't matter down there. And, and I'm good enough, I can be a main eventer in Mexico, and he just wanted to be a main eventer so bad. So that he started learning some lucha when, when Conan came up, you know, a few moves off the ropes here and there. Because there was like a funny story where Conan and Pillman are like, Conan's kind of like teaching him how they do a few tricks. And Luger walks by, and it's almost like, because this actually relates to, to, to Pillman years later. Luger walks by and kind of does like a kind of laugh, like, uh, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And because that triggered him because it was like Luger was making all this money and Luger was on top and Pillman was like, he doesn't care. You know what I mean? And like, I care so much. And it was like, I want to make Lex Luger money. I want to be like Lex Luger. I want to be treated like a star, like Lex Luger. Just, you know, just just Mm. to like, I don't want to say rub it in his face because that's too strong, but it was, it was a motivating point. Because Luger laughed at him for trying to learn. Lucha it's Lee funny, Brick. it's
0: funny, Dave. Because Conan just told that story on his podcast the other day. About, really? Yeah. I don't know how it came to be, but basically, Luger's like, "Oh, so now we got to do all this flying stuff now?" Yeah, <laughs> like real sarcastic, and, and yeah, yeah. So that made Pillman mad at right,
2: right, right, right. Pillman got Pilman got mad about like just just the idea that he was kind of being mocked for trying to learn more. Sure, right, and and more that it was coming from like a top guy mm-hmm. who he didn't think like it's like. You know what's he got that I don't have? Other than he's, you know, six, six inches, six. Yeah. yeah, six yeah. inches, seven inches taller. But aside from that, Brian had a good physique, just like Luger. Yeah. But and Brian was a better worker than Luger, so it was kind of like I got to find a way to. Because even when, um, you know, when he was doing the the uh, the negotiating back and forth, it was the word he would use to me was like, you know, I got to get a spot. The only way I'm going to make it in WCW is to get Luger money because then if, they, if I get Luger money, they'll do what they do with Luger, which is they always keep him strong because they're paying him so they much to. they have to. Yeah. So he goes, as long as I can get like a Luger contract, they'll, they'll keep me strong. And that, Luger was the name that he would use always.
0: And it's interesting because that was WCW style. It didn't matter how good you were at that point in time. Whatever money you were making would decide how you got pushed. Right. So I remember even in my case, when I was there making 165000 a year, I would never – get to beat you know stevie ray or scott norton like it just because they're making so much more money than me it just financially wasn't feasible well just how they thought that's right yeah. that's how they thought so brian had that because wasn't there also a story too where he was signed and then uh was it jim Hurd took over or bill watts took over bill
2: watts took over and so, won so 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 yeah so so he was negotiating this is when he was um i think a light heavyweight champion and kip fry was in charge and and kip fry was kind of like hearing oh you know you got to push light heavyweights and he did that program with Liger which was really really great stuff mm-hmm. and then um so it was his contract came due and um he got 225,000 as a base which was real high in that year yeah. in WCW plus you know a bunch of bonus you know things worked in so it was only he was going to make like 275 the way we all figured it and then Watts came in and the first thing with Watts was they wanted to um you know balance the budget cut stuff so he would see this guy who was like in this is bill watts mentality right bill comes in it's 1993 or whatever year it is 92 93 and he looks on the two guys he, he saw like that who were the last two guys that kip fry signed for big money were um brian pillman and paul heyman and it was just like no manager you know deserves 250 a year you know we got it so so he was trying to get rid of paul for a cost-cutting, and with Brian, he didn't really, you know, he kind of liked Brian in the sense that Brian was a real football player and a real athlete, Right. but it was like, no guy this size deserves this kind of a guarantee, so he went to Brian, and and it was just like, here's your options, which just like such bullshit, and, and it turned, and, and Brian was like, oh, this is like a real contentious situation, so he goes to Brian and goes, you got two options, you can, I can't make you give up your contract, you have this contract. So, if you don't give up this contract, I'm going to beat you in the opener every single night, okay? Until you're worthless. Or I'll push you as light heavyweight champion, but you got to take, you know, a lot less money, you know, 125 or 150. And Brian was just like, I'm going to be the high. He you can remember him, him telling me right after the conversation, I'm going to be the highest paid jobber in the history of the business. He goes, <laughs> I'm not backing down and everyone like the Arn Anderson's and all these guys are going, just play ball with them, you'll be okay. And Brian was like, I'm not backing down. And um I don't even remember, you know, he, he ended up being jobbed out for a while. Hmm, over completely, that. right? Yeah, they, 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 they buried him until um, somebody came up with the idea of putting him with Austin, which, you know, Austin hated at first, although he ended up loving it
0: later. Talking about the Hollywood Blondes.
2: The Hollywood Blondes. And those guys were great. And and the company, that was a real, th- Brian was so, like, into it. Like, he's like, he would call me up and go, we got to get some tapes of, of Patterson and Stevens. I go, it doesn't exist. I go, like, there's nothing out there. And and you know he just wanted to like ideas of the great tag teams of the so past. So
0: Steve didn't like the idea of getting put with Brian at first. Well, Steve was was like a you know U.S. champion,
2: um, higher level singles, singles guy, guy, yeah. Right. So at first he thought it was a demotion, but then him and that's how him and Brian ended up being like really good friends. So very quickly, I don't you know you have to ask Steve how. Sure, quickly, sure, sure. But but they got along and they were really into it, and I mean they were really in a, they were a really entertaining team. And um, and then one day they, they had the big program they worked with Steamboat and Shane Douglas and then they were built for this big thing with Flair and um, and Flair and Arn Anderson mm-hmm. um, but it was, was was Flair's big return on the Clash and it did so they they built it up for a couple months on TV with the, the Flair for the old and, and you know those talk show gimmicks with Fifi the maid and everything like that and um, they had the match and it was Flair's first match back after leaving WWF. And the match did a bad ra- – I mean, a really bad rating. So, you know, they weren't going to blame Flair. They just spent a ton of money on him. So it was just like, right. these guys can't draw. And they, like, broke him up as a team. I remember when I heard about that, it's like, they're going to break you up as a team. I think Greg Agno was the one who told uh, Brian. But but somebody did, like, you know and, – and they said, like, you didn't – you know, you couldn't draw on top. And it was like – and no one was drawing on top anyway
0: mm-hmm, at the time. Mm-hmm. But it was just like – They blamed them.
2: Yeah. They were – so, so – so they broke him up as a team. And then when they did that, so Steve got like a nice push as a single and Brian was just completely forgotten again for a long time and, and kind of got depressed. I know he hurt his back, you know, um, doing the Stairmaster too much and um, kind of got like at his His term would be like... Um, Oh, he like hid behind his tan was what he would say. Cause he was super tanned But he said like, I'm really out of shape, but with the tan, I look okay type of a thing. And <laughs> yeah. he was like, you know, a little bit, a little bit of a belly, but to him, it was like, he was a fat slob
0: in his mind. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you know,
2: you and I would think he looks great. Right. Right.
0: But he's so used to being completely shredded that any ounce of fat.
2: Right. 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 Yeah. Right. So, so he did that, but it was in that when he, when he hurt his back was really the impetus for everything because, you know, Brian had, he had, he had the five kids And his back was hurting, and his body was starting to hurt. And it's like, I can't do what I was doing before. Mm. I've got to reinvent myself. And that's where he goes, what am I going to do? And that's where he came up with this persona. Um, That's really the impetus of it all. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar.
0: Do you have an idea? Did he just decide he's going to start being wacky? or I don't, I mean, I you know, there was, a, there was a little bit
2: of a Bruiser Brody type of mentality mm-hmm. in the sense of being an independent guy, but Bruiser Brody wasn't anything like that. Um, I think it was just um, I, I don't know. I, I
0: can't say. I mean, it was like, you know, yeah, Bruiser, Brody, Terry Funk a little bit, but it just was basically just doing like they, when you say Bruiser and Terry, they would just do whatever they felt, whatever off the cuff, walk into the crowd, throw chairs in the ring, whatever it may be. They had no rules on themselves. Right. And I think I think Brian just wanted to do something. Different, And I mean, Brian was like, he would
2: study wrestling, because I remember he read Luthez's book, mm-hmm. um, like in one weekend, and he would just talk to me forever about Luthez's book. And then he started calling Luthez and, and Stu, you know, he would call both of them. And, you know, like, it's like, there'd be stories from like 1931, right? And... Lou, and Lou would have a version of the story, and then he called Stu, and Stu would have a version of the story, and and there's like differences in the story because it's 1931, sure. right? And he'd go, "Who's telling the truth? Which one's a liar?" <laughs> and I go, "Like it's 1931." I goes, "Who the hell knows?" Yeah. And he would like call up Luthes and just go, "You know, it didn't happen like this, and everything." He was like crazy <laughs> about. Um like history and everything, but he was trying to find out something in history to... Mm-hmm.
0: To, to base the character
2: off To it. base his character mm-hmm. off of, and I don't think there was anyone in history that was that he really based that character off of completely. So
0: how did it first start, the Loose Cannon character?
2: I, you know, it just started getting
0: wacky. That was pretty much it. I mean, I don't really... You know, just a little bit weirder and weirder, and... Uh, well, let's go through some of the main things that happened in, in, with that character. I mean, there, I know there was the time with Heenan.
2: Yeah, so Heenan... I, I was there in Vegas. That was in Vegas, and... Um, Brian swore to me because I saw him like right afterwards. Because I thought, oh my god, that's a work. You know, he, he he grabs Heenan by the shoulders from behind. I think he was wrestling Eddie Guerrero in a match,
0: and Heenan's um, doing commentary.
2: Heenan's doing commentary, and Heenan walks off, and and I think he may have like swore on the air or something. What the fuck are you doing? Right, yeah. right. So what what happened was he and I talked to this, to Heenan about this once. It was like Heenan didn't know what was happening, and he had the bad neck, and so he just freaked out. And Brian was like, like, and everything Brian was doing was a work. But Brian goes, I swear to God, that was not a work. We didn't plan that or anything. But it was like, you know, it ended up being another one of those things where everyone's going, is that a work? Is that a not work? And that's, and, that, and it actually, you know, fell into everything that Brian was trying to do because he wanted everyone, you know, it's like wrestling's a work. People know it's a work, but I want them to believe that they don't know what I'm going to do and that, you know, I'm real. And he would play that character like all the time everywhere. I mean, even like, in, you know, the the, the Natby story with Vince McMahon? No. So this, so there's another one I know. Okay, so so this was this may have been that same weekend in Vegas, but it was definitely in Vegas. I Think it was Vegas, but they, it was it was the, the, the Napti convention for mm-hmm. sure. You, you had to be media to get in.
0: So, and Napti is kind of like all the syndicated shows are, are promoting their wares, basically.
2: Right, 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 right. And wrestling had a pretty big presence. And Vincent McMahon was there, was there with Jim Ross. So um, and um, God, we were we saw Joe Namath there. But anyway, so so I'm coming out and I'm leaving, and he's walking in. You know with this whole group of fans, like, around him signing autographs. And he goes, uh, and he couldn't get in because he didn't have a badge, you know, because WCW didn't send him to be one of the guys. So I go, here, take mine. So he went in there. And then the next thing I hear, which is like, did you hear what Brian Pillman did to, to Vince McMahon? He runs up to Vince McMahon. just doesn't know Vince McMahon at all. And he like hugs him like he's like and making him like completely uncomfortable. And Jim Ross is there all embarrassed trying to explain he's just working, he's just working. And Vince is just like, who is this
0: guy? You know, like that. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> he just wanted to make an impression with Vince? He just wanted Vince to, you know, like yeah. remember him. But also he I think he wanted to work Vince
2: to where Vince wouldn't know if he was real or he wasn't. Sure. You know what I mean? He wanted right. Vince to be because he, he figures like if I can work Vince McMahon and get Vince. McMahon going, like, what is this guy? I can work anybody. Then I could go. What was the Super Bowl one you're going to talk about before? The Super Bowl. So, this, this I think, was an idea with Funk. So it's the, I just was, you know, before the show studying up on this, but it was the 1996 Super Bowl. And he was, the idea that him and Funk came up with was at some point he would go to the game, and at some point during the game, he would run onto the field and handcuff himself to the goalposts. In the middle of the game, so it's like you know there's a hundred million people watching. You know what I mean? And it's right. like it's like yeah, I'll get arrested for trespassing or whatever. I may have to spend to pay a little bit of fine. But can you imagine the frickin' publicity? Yeah. And I mean, the only reason he didn't do it was because he couldn't get a ticket to the Super Bowl. Wow! And he was trying to score a ticket to the Super Bowl from from different people. But the thing is, is where he made his mistake was. He, go, you know, when the people he was trying to score from, he told him what his idea was, mm-hmm. and they were going like, if they chase that ticket to us, we're going to be, in- you know, how much <laughs> yeah, crap we're yeah. going to get in. That right. that was like our ticket that that, that got <laughs> you doing the thing, right? But yeah, he was. I mean, he was absolutely, you know, it was him. Him and Funk came up with that idea to, have to do that for a hundred
0: percent committed to this character is what he was doing.
2: Twenty four hours a day, you know, like just always thinking of ideas. He would do. Talk shows in um, Cincinnati, one of the big right-wing talk show guys. He would call him up in character all the time to the point where I guess it was so entertaining that when that guy would take a day off, he had Brian host the show and Brian would be yelling at all the
0: callers and acting all crazy, yeah. <laughs> I remember um, I only met him one time and it was my second week in WCW, sorry, my second week in an ECW, his last. <laughs> and I, uh, I, I met up with him in the dressing room, we were in the Lost Battalion Hall in Queens, New York, I remember, and then the other show was at the uh, ECW arena. And he was really friendly to me, I think it's because the Stampede connection, probably the Benoit connection, but he I remember him saying, "If you really want to make it in this business, you've got to do something that no one's ever done before." And a few hours later, he's running around looking for uh, a belt. Like a, like a belt to hold your pants up because he didn't have a belt. And he's asking everybody, hey, man, you got a spare belt? You got a spare belt? Someone must have a spare belt. Well, who carries a spare belt? <laughs> and then he found a ball of twine and made a belt out of twine, like a hobo would, just walking around, like look at my belt, I got this belt. And it was, wasn't like over the top crazy, it was just really awkward and weird. Like what is this guy on? What is he doing? I remember like he just had this awkwardness to make other people feel that way. Like you know what I mean? Like that was oh, yeah. what he was trying to do. You yeah, know? like
2: you weren't sure or, or around him, and but it was like you noticed him, and you you, you know you remembered him. Which yeah, was the, which was the whole key. Because I mean, again, you know, you're talking about on a wrestling show where there's you know twenty, thirty, forty characters on the television show, especially in those days, and it's just like you know how do you you know everyone's got a good body, everyone's good looking, everyone can wrestle to a certain degree, or a lot of guys can anyway, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, so how do I stand out? And it was the, the whole thing is like, you know, how do I stand out in this crowd? And you know make something where I can make a lot of money to support my family for a long time with my character. Right. You know,
0: I mean, that's that was the whole The whole goal was, was just to get that Lex Luger contract. Yeah, get the honestly. Lex Luger contract. Uh, then, then the next night was in the arena, and... Uh... I remember Taz had came this guy and the guy was bleeding and so people were backstage tending to him and Pillman is running around. Call 911. Call 911. <laughs> someone call 911. And the guy was like bleeding like you know, like he had gigged himself. He wasn't dying. Yeah. He wasn't hurt. Pillman jumping up. And down, call 911. Call 911. And everyone was like, dude, calm down. I remember he looked over at me and winked. And <laughs> a wink me. It's, yeah. like, it's all a work. Right <laughs> right. <laughs> but know? I mean, so the only guys back there were the wrestlers, right? Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. for some reason, like I said, I'd never met him before but I think because of that Calgary connection he you know and I just remember jumping up and down freaking out about this guy who basically had like a bug bite Yeah, you know and then he also asked me this and I don't know if you ever heard this before he said We'd, uh, we're doing this thing in WCW it's going to be the new age four horsemen like the generation X four horsemen and it's going to be Chris Dean might have been Eddie one of those Chris Dean or Eddie and Pillman and he goes what would you think about coming in as the fourth guy and I remember he showed me the sign it was a four horseman sign but, but with an X like both both arms crossed, holding up the two fours, and I was like, "Oh, gee, let me check my schedule." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially at right, that point in your career, was nobody right? Nobody at the time. Yeah, and and then I never saw him again. Never heard anything more about it. But did you ever hear about a new New Age? Oh, well, oh, it was definitely a Four Horsemen versus Four Horsemen feud. They were going to do.
2: Really? Absolutely, one hundred percent. No, he had told me all about that. Like, um, and he didn't tell me like it was going to be like Flair and Arn and these guys on the. Because remember, he was in the Four Horsemen it was Flair, Arn, Pillman, and um, I think Dean, or or maybe, maybe Benoit. Benoit, maybe Benoit, maybe Benoit, Benoit. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, so so. Pillman and Benoit were going to break off from Flair and Arn, and there was going to be a like old four horsemen, new four horsemen right. thing, he, they were going to be the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And he never he never told me who the other guys were going to be, but hmm. we definitely talked about you know the idea, and it was like that was like so big to him the idea that you know he's going to be in, like four horsemen and feud with Flair and Arn. Right. You know? It was like you know that. For him, for for him at that level, I mean, that was you know feuding with Ric Flair, you know, in WCW. Yeah, yeah, right, right. It was, it was, yeah. So that was like huge for him.
0: But how did it just end up falling through, or?
2: Uh, man, I don't. I mean, it's, he did the character, and then um, you know he got released, and I don't know what happened
0: exactly. But let's talk about the uh, the Kevin Sullivan incident because I heard about that. It was in Japan, and everyone was talking about it about how you know I respect you, Mister Booker Man, right? That sort of thing. What was the story behind that? So
2: I just remember, so I'm watching, and Brian's all wacky, and they did. So there was something on Nitro where um, Kevin like takes Brian down and like goes for his eye, and I'm thinking like, and I'm I'm getting worked by this one now too, right? <laughs> so I'm going like, oh my god, he's got so much heat, Kevin. You know, Kevin's after him, like on live television, right? And you know, the announcers don't really talk about it, so you know what I mean. I'm like, I'm I'm kind of concerned for him because about what's going on. And this, is, so I'll go with a backstory on this. Cause this is what, cause I hadn't heard from Brian in a couple of weeks at this point. And what happened was like, uh, he talked to Kim Wood, who was like his, his mentor yeah. who came up with a lot of this stuff. And he goes, what do I do about, cause Kim Wood, could went to, Wood told me the story. He goes, what do I do about Dave? And he goes, you can't talk to Dave for a while because you just can't talk to him. He goes, don't lie to him, but you can't talk to him. So he was like avoiding me for a couple weeks. So I'm calling and he's not getting back. Because he didn't want you to talk about this, about
0: his angle. No, 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 he he,
2: he didn't. I think the idea was he didn't want to tell me that it was a work. Okay. But he didn't want to tell me that it was a shoot either because then I would be pissed at him for lying to me. Right. Yeah. So, so he's, so he's avoiding me. And then um, Kevin did a promo on it the next week on TV. And I go, Kevin did a promo on it's a work. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wrote that. And then he called, then he called me up and it was just like, why did you write that? I go, Kevin did a promo. I figured out no one told me. And he just goes, oh, he was so mad that, like, you know, like... What was the promo Kevin did? It was just, like, I don't even remember what it was, but I could tell from the promo that, you know, it was a pro wrestling promo talking on Talking about this character. You know, just gotcha. talking about Brian, blah, 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 blah. And it was like, well, was a shoot, you're not going to do a promo on it and Yeah, right? yeah, I got gotcha. you. And then gotcha. it led to the, the match with the I Respect You Booker Man. It was just... Again, it was a way, it was like um, the loser had to say, I respect you or something. And it was just a way to, um, you know, to get
0: over and to get people talking about the character. Yeah. Was that something that was, uh, was that just on the cuff or was that something that was planned to call him Book-
2: Oh, no, 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 no. Well, I don't know Booker Man, that I don't know.
0: Yeah, gotcha. But I mean, but yeah, that, that. That was worked out with him and Kevin, yeah. Because Booker man was like at times you hear the word Booker,
2: right, right, um, right, right, right,
0: because you're not because you never used that term in that. That's days. right, yeah. You never heard anything about that for sure, right? Wasn't right. he doing something too? Was he had like a one eight hundred number? Or he would be running yeah. the crowd. Yeah. What was all that? Okay, so so this
2: was during this period where I forget if he was like suspended or something, but he was off TV but the idea was they would bring him to Nitro and he'd run around in the crowd with the, you know, call Brian 1-800, and people would call and he would insult them on the 800 number. <laughs> and, um, and he made, like, the first couple of weeks he made a lot of money off of it too, but then, you know, it, it, it dwindled down. But, um, it, it, so, so, so the thing on that one was, so he's in the crowd doing that, and, and he's supposed to be suspended because... You know he was a loose cannon, and and Eric and Kevin wanted him off TV. I and mean, he was the idea is he's sneaking into the arena, and like he would go on, and then Eric would make these remarks on TV, like, "Oh, this guy going for attention," you know, like trying to act like it's not part of the show. Mm. And um, and then Hogan saw it, and they were doing um, that two on eight, horrible freaking cage monstrosity yeah, yeah, match. Yeah, yeah. And Hogan saw how over Brian was, and goes, "I got to get Brian in this match." And I mean, and I mean, it was so bad because it was like. The finish was going to be Hogan pinning Brian with a freaking leg drop. And Brian was just like, this is like, the, he didn't want to be back. He thought it was way too soon to come back. And and the deal was he wasn't going to come back for a while. But Hogan said, like, you've got, you know, this main event. I want Brian in this main event. I want him in this main event. He's so over. So they tell him. So Brian goes in there. And Brian, from from, from when he was born, had, like, pops in his throat and every so many years would need surgery. He nearly died when he was two and nearly died when he was four Hmm. from the cancer, you know, as a child. Like throat cancer? Throat cancer. Yeah. That's why he had that voice. Right. So he, to avoid this, I mean, he was going to need like a, a, a surgery at some point that year, 18 months, right? So he created this thing where it's like, I, I need surgery that month right before the thing. And he told Kevin Sullivan and Kevin is just like furious because he's supposed to be in the main event. and Hogan wants to beat him so bad. And <laughs> and Pillman's just like, this is my surgery. And Kevin like Kevin knew enough, I guess, to know that Brian was very conveniently scheduling this, which was the truth, although Brian didn't tell him that. And so he was like really mad, but it was like, what can you do? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got the he really did need the surgery at some point. So he was recovering from the surgery and never did the match. Wow. Yeah. What a great way to get out of it, right? I know, I know. Well, believe me, he wanted out of that match. <laughs> that match was like one of the worst matches in history, but he was the one before that match even happened he told me this you know because it was like zeus and um jeep swenson and
0: and and all of these characters you know booty man i think was in there yeah
2: it's hogan and randy against eight guys that hogan and randy were going to run through all eight and it was just like this was something like this is going to be like the absolute worst thing for my character possible is to be the guy who gets pinned at the end yeah you know in that situation and to be in like we, you know, he just goes. This is
0: going to be the worst match in history, and,
2: and it really almost was. It was so bad.
0: <laughs> and also, love the fact that Hogan—he's so overwhelmed in the match, just so I can beat him. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, how did he end up? Uh, and you, you touched on it before, but let's go through how he was able to get this release from Bischoff. Is that why he was in ECW at that point in time? Was
2: so, it? ECW was a thing because ECW and and. WCW, everyone knew they hated each other. Mm-hmm. So Sullivan and Paul were friends. You know, and I don't know the all of the machinations, but Brian was talking to me about the whole thing. It just goes, you know, that that, you know, Paul was always like, you know, they're the enemy, they're the enemy. And 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 Paul and Brian liked each other for, you know, from the past. I guess from from when when they were in WCW together, right. they really liked each other. And the thing was, is like Brian's belief was Everyone knows that WCW would never let somebody go to ECW. Mm -hmm. So for me to go to ECW proves that I'm really not in WCW and I'm really out there. Because the whole idea was to work people that he was like fired from WCW and then he would come back. And so that was the whole ECW thing was to buy him like six months of, um, you know, just not being in WCW where people go like, he's in ECW there's no ways in WCW but they were in some form all working together behind the scenes Kevin and and, and uh Paul like mm-hmm. okay this one time you know we'll all do each other a favor and Paul loved the idea because Brian gave him all kinds of publicity for ECW and right. was, was doing like the best promos of his career at that point and the crazy stuff like where he wrestled the pencil in Elliot Paul's living room and just all what of these did he things do? That- um, it was right after the Kevin Sullivan Booker thing, yeah. so it was just like uh, he, he had this giant pencil, and he was doing this match in um, in somebody's thing where they filmed for an ECW promo, where he's like, you know, the pencil's throwing him around, and he's throwing the pencil around, and he's just going like, you know, it, it's a metaphor for Kevin Sullivan, <laughs> right? The, you know, the
0: Booker man, yeah. The, the man. pencil,
2: yeah. The right. pencil, yeah. Exactly. The pencil.
0: <laughs> he uh, uh, my first match in the arena against Taz, and Taz the, the finish was Taz suplexing on, on my head. Which he did. And then, uh, but I, you know, I get stretchered out or something. And then Pillman runs in the ring and does the classic, like, Ron Ritchie babyface where he's slapping the mat and come on, like, you know, just (laughs) literally jumping him down, slapping the mat. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Then Taz takes a step towards him. Pillman jumps out of the ring, jumps into the crowd, into the arms of a guy who played for the Philadelphia Eagles, this guy called Harry Boatswain. And the guy carried him out of the crowd back in the restroom, And I just remember, like, you know, once again, like, just this weird, wacky stuff, but he was super old. Because he played it so good, because he really thought he was off his head.
2: Yeah, and remember, like he 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 like got people thinking he was going to pull his pants down and yes. pull his thing out
0: on. on he he going to pull on, his Johnson and piss all over the ring. Yeah. Right, right right, right, yeah. right, right, And if it, if it was going to happen, it would be an ECW. Yeah, at yeah. the time, right. Yeah. So so when he was talking to to Bischoff and Sullivan about getting his release, like how. You think about it now, and, and, and how would Bischoff ever buy that? Like, how did – I don't I, – that I don't know. Yeah.
2: I mean, and it's like – it's funny because he – I think he told me, like, right after it happened, you know, like – like I, he didn't tell me before. And he just goes, I just got my release. And so, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, 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 no. I got my release. I'm going to start negotiating with Vince because that's when we were talking about, like, you know, negotiating with Vince and playing both sides and everything. But, um, you know, the, the, the thing that he sold them on is, like, the only way, like – People are going to believe this is real. So we got to go all the way with it. It's like you got to give me a real release to fool the office workers because the because the office workers are going to tell someone that oh he's not really released mm-hmm. he's still getting paid blah blah blah. So it's like we've got to do this like totally legal. So it's like when they did it, they thought that it was just part of the angle, and you know we're doing this fake thing, but they did it on legal. You know they did it like sure. on the stationary sure, sure. and everything like that. But they thought, hey, look, you know we're all working this angle together. And then like as soon as he's got that release, then he starts talking to um to WWE with Jim Ross and, and they're like, you know, you're not really released. And he goes, oh, I got this legal release. Hmm. You know. So I, I don't I mean what, what was the end game with Bischoff? Okay, you release me, yeah. then I'll go the idea was is then eventually he's gonna come back and I mean the goal always was
0: to come back um Just show up on on Nitro and do whatever. But I maybe mean, this guy does not work here. Right. He does right. not work here sort of thing.
2: Yeah, and I think that they like being the only guys, quote, in on the angle that's fooling everyone in wrestling, all yeah. the boys, no one knows. And we're really, you know, it's like, you know, even if it's not necessarily drawing money at the time, there's that satisfaction of like, you know, we're fooling everyone type thing that, that they were getting because it really was getting a ton of
0: attention. Well, sure. And, and also, too, the uh, WCW were big on working the boys. Right, right. They really liked that. But I but I think this was like the catalyst of all of it. This may have been the first
2: time they really did it because then they started doing it a lot and mm-hmm. it got, you know, it kind of got pathetic. Yeah. yeah. yeah especially because, you know, you were there. So, you know what I mean? It's like at one point, maybe the first time you're going like, this is pretty cool. And then after a while, it's
0: like, you know. Sullivan and Ben were getting in a fight in a bar with right, 10 and- of the boys are there and that's it. Yeah. And they're fighting each other. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember like I, I, I could tell from Benoit sold one punch a little bit like a sell. And I was like, that's a work. But why us? Like then you think about And too, nobody was there because I remember that story. Yeah, no it was there. Just me and a couple other dudes. And the thing was this is not like two thousand sixteen, it's nineteen ninety six. There's no Internet really just barely, just barely. There's no Twitter. There's no Facebook. There's nowhere to even tell people I saw this happening. Right? You know, it was just a word of mouth amongst your friends. So who are you really working? You know? It yeah. Was, it was Plus, it was
2: it was it was it just got really bad too because it's like, you know, to me, to me, it's like you really want to have some because because it's a paranoid business anyway. Yeah. And you just want you know you want to have the talent trust management as much as possible because when you know you know when you were there, I mean, you had to sit there and just go. Like, no matter what was said, even if it's true, you're going like, okay, what's the angle? What's yeah, going it's, on? Is this real?
0: Is yeah. it a work? Yeah. And like you said, even if it's true, even if 99% of everything you hear, hear is, is true, because they tried to work at one time, you never believe anything. Right. So it just right. caused this huge unrest amongst everybody. I remember in that situation, because all the guys
2: were just, like, paranoid
0: of everything in yeah. WSW. I mean, more than, more than in other companies. Sure, sure, more than ever. Yeah. yeah. So when Brian gets his release and then he goes to Vince... Um, did they sign him right away? Was there some negotiation? No, there was there were, there were no,
2: so so they were negotiating back and forth and he was like really happy but Brian was spiraling into like the painkillers and mm-hmm. the whole bit and it was pretty bad like you know wrecking cars and stuff. So he got in a Humvee wreck that like was horrible. He was thrown like I, I don't I, I don't remember the number but he was thrown really far and I know that his face was totally unrecognizable, his ankle was destroyed and um I'm, wow. Yeah, because uh, Melanie, you know, called me right away and she was just freaking out his probably, wife, yeah. his wife. And then uh, Kim Wood had told me the same that he visited him. And he goes, oh, my God, it's like you you could not recognize him. That's how bad his face was messed up from the from the wreck. And I mean, he really should have died right there. Hmm. But he was, you know, they found him and he was they saved his life. Um, but his ankle was completely destroyed. So I don't know what he thought or knew. He told me, I, I mean, I know he told me and this wasn't true because um, later he, he admitted it, was that that the doctor said after the surgery, I'll be okay. You know, it's like it's going to be messed. I'm going to be messed up for a while, but I'll be okay. But the whole thing was is he had these two companies and they're both bidding for him and he was really a hot commodity at the time. And then he got in this very legitimate wreck and he didn't know if he was ever going to be able to wrestle again hmm. and he and he shouldn't have never he should
0: have never wrestled again cuz they had to fuse his ankle into well, a walking position second,
2: that was the second operation months later oh there was there was a, oh wow the first so he, the first one and then the first one didn't take very well so he had to have a second operation where they rebroke it they rebroke the ankle and then they fused it so he had to, yeah so his his ankle was fused and he's trying to wrestle on on that fused ankle and he's trying to get through airports and he was just but but um the Humvee wreck like changed everything because the mentality was always to go back to WCW. I mean, it always was, really? whether it's the horseman thing or whatever. Cause when we would dis- when we, cause we discussed this a lot and it was always me arguing, look, Shawn Michaels is their world champion. WCW, they've got all those top guys. They're never going to move, you know, like, but you can, you can work with Shawn. You're the same size as him. You're a good athlete. Your character's over. You could be like that guy. And it was like, the, but WCW was given guaranteed money, and, the, and he thought he would make more money in WCW. He wanted, you know, the Luger the, money. The, yeah. the Luger money, right? And so it was always there, but what ended up making the decision was is that Vince gave him a guaranteed contract, mm-hmm. and Eric gave him a guaranteed contract, but it had 90-day cycles where that they, even though it's like, a, you know, was probably, you had the same pri- yep. contract, where, you know, they could fire you in 90 days, and his thing was, if I can't, with the Vince thing, it was, like, guaranteed for three years, but with the Bischoff contract it's like i could be fired in 90 days if i can't wrestle and he, and eric wouldn't like not do the 90 days like hmm. and that was the difference it was like i think that eric's money might have been slightly better than vince's although they were in the same ballpark but the thing was it's like I, for my family i have to go
0: there The thing is and eric vince eric and vince both know about this accident obviously yeah well that's the thing they both know that he's dead but they were goods. still they were still
2: interested in him because i don't think i don't think that they realized but i mean you have to I mean, the thing was serious. And that may have been why Eric wouldn't remove the, the 90 day cycles was because of that, that very thing. But, you know, he was telling everyone, I'll, you know, I'll be fine mm-hmm. and, and it's, I'll be, you know, ready well, to go. And it was a
0: different world back then too, though. You didn't have to get cleared. Like now you, the WWE doctors have to clear you. There's a whole medical staff. Oh, oh At he that couldn't point have did, in time. There he, wasn't even a, a trainer. Yeah. You know, you had to bring your own, throw your own black tape in the bag if you wanted to tape your wrists up and bring your own baby oil. Yeah. So he might've been able to say, doctor says I'm going to be okay. And they go, all right. Yeah.
2: Well, I think right. that's what, I think that's what happened. Mm-hmm. But yeah, even from the beginning, he, he didn't know. And then after a while he did know that, cause I think they told him he should never wrestle again, but you know, he was, you know, he did. man, And, and it probably, probably, like I said, he probably shouldn't. I mean, I was, um, you know, he would play softball during the, the off thing you know, when he was working for WWE, he had this loose cannon softball team that he played Mm -hmm. and like, he couldn't play the field. You know what I mean? He was only like designated hitter and he had a hard time running when he would hit the ball, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, when I heard that he couldn't play the field, it's like, Oh my God. And then people would tell me, Oh my God, you you know, how much pain Brian is going through the airports every day. Mm -hmm. And then you start hearing about, you know, you know, his spiraling downward. That's why he's
0: taking all these painkillers.
2: Right, right, right. Exactly. And I remember that like they were, Kind of like going like, uh, you know, maybe we'll make you a, you know, a TV announcer because he he probably could do real well at this. And Brian was just like, oh, you know, like he wanted to be a wrestler and he was so paranoid. Like he came back too quick because I remember the whole thing is, is like he felt because they were paying him a guaranteed salary that he needed to um, wrestle every night. That was just the mentality of, of him. Like it's not like be on TV and not wrestle and do vignettes and things like that. You know, it was like, now you could do that, right? Right. But but then his mentality was, is the only way you're making money for the company is you're going out on the road and you're doing that. So it was like, he didn't want to be making money that he wasn't earning. I mean, we would, we would, I don't say argue is not the right word, but he would talk to me about that. And it was just like
0: you don't need to rush back and it's like i've got to earn my keep or however he would use that yeah. phrase because at the time too offering uh, him a guaranteed contract there was not a lot of guaranteed contracts in 1996 19- well, 96, is 96. He, he well in WWE he was um, i don't think he
2: was the first but he was in that first line. One of the only ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were only a
0: few. So, you know, I don't think he wanted the resentment of... Well, there you go. Then the boys find out about it. And then this guy's not even working and he's making more than me. And right. Then you get all that problem too. Right, right. So,
2: you know, you so you got like all of that going on. So it was like he was adamant about working and there was so little he could do. He had to, you know, like just think of it from your situation because you can you relate, relate to this as the same type of a wrestler in the sense of... Okay, you're you're a really good wrestler, really, really good. You can do all this. And let's just say you got in this mm-hmm. you know, really bad injury and mentally you know everything that you know, right? right. You know everything that you know, but physically you cannot do like seventy mm-hmm. percent of what you do in the ring. And it's but but you still want to do it and you're you know, you're you're not you're not forty five, you'll say you're thirty. 34-ish, right? And, you know, and you've got five kids, too. So that's, you know, you could probably relate to, like, what he's going through And at that also, point.
0: too, it's not like he'd been there for years. No. And could guy, uh, uh, not coast, but get by on his personality. He's, he's the new guy on the block. He right. has to impress people and he can't do what he usually do, does. Right, right. You know? So, so it was, that was a real tough time. Did he, he was... have any good matches in WWE? I remember, like, I remember him being there and it's like he always had something going on but an actual good match he I think he did cuz I remember like there was one and I, I mean I can't remember yeah. there's
2: nothing like like his matches with Ric Flair or like with Liger or Eddie or, or something or yeah. something yeah but I do remember on occasion like he would take like bumps on his face all the time hmm. on steps and stuff and did things that I mean it did work. I mean you could see it was limited, but but most of the matches I don't think were that good. But he on occasion I think he had a good match.
0: Did he come in with with some pretty good fanfare into the WWE? I remember he had a press conference. Yeah, yeah, no, they brought him in like like, you know, cuz remember this is
2: the middle of the ratings war and they're losing. Mm-hmm. So they thought they'd brought him in to be this this guy to turn the ratings around. And You know because everyone behind the scenes is talking about him. They thought that he would and you know No one guy at that point in time was 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 gonna turn the ratings around yet I mean, um, I mean I guess Austin to an extent did later, but at the time though Yeah, but at the time I mean I know you know cuz that's the other thing is like Tuesdays He would call me not every Tuesday, but if he was featured on a Tuesday, I mean, on Monday night, he would call me and, you know, quarter hour, everything. He, he, wants to know he the- was a total student. And, I mean, the one thing, you remember the, the gun angle with, with Steve? Right, I want to talk about that. Okay, yeah. so the gun angle with Steve, him and Steve both, the next day, you know, because it really didn't do that well in the ratings, and they thought, like, this was going to be the big turnaround. And, I mean, it was just interesting how, like, I mean, I I, I would get these breakdowns of, like, every demo and everything, I you know, like, on, on how, and, and. How the minute by minute and quarters were going, and like Brian was like such a student of all this, and it was like like older women like really stuck with the angle, but everybody else was going back to in the angle was going back to Nitro, and Mm. it it, you know what I mean, and I know that they were like I think they were both really sort of disappointed because it was kind of like and Vince probably was as well. And then vince had to apologize over the angle because the the network got he which is hilarious when you talk about like 1996 to 2006 because you could do that now and people would go out you know some people go it's a dumb angle because of a gun but there'd be no heat Mm -hmm. over it It's, it's just wrestling but then wrestling was i guess the idea was it was portrayed as real enough that like using a you know a gun pulling out a gun in the middle of a show was like Vince had, yeah, Vince had apologized on on TV the next week. Well, let's talk about the angle. What, what exactly happened? So Brian's, you know, this is when he's injured, and Steve's character is really getting over. And Brian and Steve were playing off the fact that they were um, friends, but um, God, I'm trying to remember how the whole thing was. They Where, were they were for- feuding with
0: each other at the time, basically, n- weren't they?
2: C- kind of. It was like. It was acknowledged that they were that they were had had a past, okay. I think, in, in a weird way. And um I just remember there was something where they set up a Bret Hart and and Austin match, which was the Madison Square Garden match in ninety six, and Brian is like cheering like this behind Austin's back, and like Austin sort of sees it. So it's kinda of like that was like the little look. And for whatever reason, I don't even remember what happened, but they set up this thing where Austin was going to go to Brian's house and and beat him up. Yeah, he's going to break into his house. Yeah. Right, and, and 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 it was his real house that they did it in. And um, you know, Brian gets all these bodyguards because he can't defend himself because he's pretty, you know, pretty much messed up from the ankle. And Steve comes in, and Brian's got the gun, and then they come in there, and there's this big to do, and these. Um, his security guys are being beaten up by Austin. And then you hear the gunshot and then the feed goes out
0: for like a long time. Yeah, like Brian's pointing the gun. Right. And then the gunshot and then it goes black. Right? And then it yeah. goes black. And then they you know, came back and I forgot, you know, whatever. But yeah. So people are so outraged at this thinking that Pillman shot Austin. I think so. <laughs> I think for a little
2: while, but it, it didn't get over as big as, as um, I mean, you know, it's a competitive Monday Night War thing but it was it was a groundbreaking thing and it was it was also the first night raw had just changed its time slot so Vince wanted something really big to establish the new time slot like oh my god you know it's it was, i think they started an hour earlier than before and it was one of those things where you mi- look what you missed right so it was like they wanted you know that's why Vince probably go- greenlit it. it was because he needed something he felt he needed something huge that week mm-hmm. and um, austin was
0: really hot at the time and and Brian was, you know, it may have even been Brian's idea for all I know. But Wow. So afterwards, Vince had to apologize to the fans, to the Gun Association of America? You, 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 USA Network wow. told Vince he had to apologize. So he went on TV and just said
2: something like, you know, we're never going to use a gun again or something mm-hmm. like that. But, um, yeah, right on the air. You know, Could you imagine that could never happen today? Yeah.
0: I mean, you know. But, but- I mean, even, that's, that's a pretty crazy thing, though. Like, they would not have... A gun on raw, now. no, and you wouldn't even have it now either you wouldn't there's no real reason to the fact they even went there, I mean also it was the attitude Era, but that's pretty heavy stuff like on well, Ross, but, 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 gun. but but they're in the middle of a war that they're losing, yeah, right, you know right. like
2: like just as an example, like um people will ask about different things that happened in that era, like why would Vince do that, and it was like. Because he was losing. And and it was like if Vince was winning, you know, WCW didn't do it. When WCW was losing then they got desperate. Right. You know, they started
0: doing really weird things. Try for the shock value. Yeah, yeah, because you're just like, How do we get how do we get back in this game mm-hmm. that we're losing? What was the did you ever hear any kind of um... I mean, I know for my own self, when I first got to WWE, after a couple of months, Vince took me in, in his office and read me the riot act about how, you know, I wasn't worth the contract. <laughs> it was on, I was green as grass and he was sold a bill of goods. <laughs> oh <my laughs> you know, it was pretty bad. <laughs> Did that ever happen with Pillman at all? Even behind the scenes? Were they ever disappointed? Like, oh, this guy can't do anything like we thought he could. I never heard that. Okay, I, I mean, you know behind the scenes because he was hurt.
2: Yeah. But but he really was a pretty good performer in that aspect. Right. And people did like even when he was not having great wrestling matches, people were talking a lot about him. I think that there was I think that I think there may have been like a thing behind the scenes with Vince that like um, you know, we thought he was his ankle was going to be 100%. Mm-hmm. And that but but in the other aspects of the game he really was very good. And I think that if there was a disappointment it was because he was just so whacked out. And um, and they were just really scared, mm-hmm. you know, of, of what might happen to them. And because um, it's not like, you know, it, it, you could you could feel it coming. You know, you really – it's not like some deaths where it's like out of the blue and you're just like – There's so
0: many things happening, little things that you could tell things were
2: – Yeah, you know, like just, you know, again, like re- wrecked Rent-A-Car this weekend type of thing. And then a couple of weekends later, wrecked Rent-A-Car. You know, and he always had a story as why. But, you know, and then there was like um, – there's so much stuff that happened like um, there was a time this is oh my God, So this story this which is not a wrestling story. So he, he had a girlfriend named Ro- Rochelle from um, before he was married who you know he was probably with for years and years and they had a kid together and so she just took off. she, she had her own problems and she just took off and they'd already split up they'd already split up by this point. And Brian, I think Brian may have even been married by this point mm-hmm. but they she took off and she's gone and no one can find her in Cincinnati. And so Brian just like you know she was she was supposed to pick up the the daughter, and she never came, like nobody can find her, and Brian just goes like, "My name's going to be all over the news. they're going to think I'm the new o j and he goes, "I swear to you, I mm-hmm. swear to you before, no news had come out yet he goes she 's gone, nobody can find her. like everyone knows we had the the relationship. it ended bad, and it 's like i 'm going to be the new o j in the city it's going to come out and he was so scared and um it was like a two week thing, and i don 't remember that if it ever got any pub. But he went to um wherever like the big drug section in Cincinnati was, and he went down like asking questions, you know trying to find out where is she you know she didn 't come to mm-hmm. pick up her daughter, and they 're going to come looking for me because i 'm going to be the number one suspect, so he ends up getting arrested down there, um, mm-hmm. you know because and he 's got his pain pills on him then he doesn 't have a prescription with him, so you know and he's, and this is going to make this made news because he 's yeah he's a- some, something of a celebrity He yeah, played sure. on the Bengals and everything sure. and he was a star wrestler and so um so that was like another thing in the sense that you know here he got arrested there and then um, you know she finally t- turns up when um, she's in a car with some guys and you know somewhere in Florida you know um, wow. yeah she she went down to Florida with some guys. And um, they got pulled over, and she's in the car, and that's when like the missing person thing happened. But until then, I mean, you know, she's a missing person; she's gone for two weeks, no one has any whereabouts of her, and the police are asking him questions. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just another thing, right? And this did, is did th- she end up die- committing suicide? or something? She committed suicide right. on the phone with her mom. She wanted, I think, she wanted to kill herself on the phone with Brian, but Brian was on the road. So and Brian and her mom were really tight. Jeez, man. So so she kills herself. Um, shoots herself in the head on the phone with her, oh my her gosh. mom, and Brian has this incredible guilt trip because of what the mom had to. You know, can you imagine the mom? Yeah, and He loved that right, mom, right? 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 So yeah, and this is this is all this is all like probably ninety six. This is
0: all at the ninety six ninety seven. This is all going on all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's talk about um, when he finally passed away because he, he passed away a lot of this is similar to the way eddie eddie passed away very really? similar like, yeah well, the, the, the day before a big the day show. of a big show or something like that right it was the day of a pay-per-view so he was in um he
2: worked in minneapolis the night before and um he went to bed at ten forty five, or he went to his room at ten forty five, and i mean he left his wife a message and um you know the next day there's, there's a pay-per-view and brett and Brian aren't there and this is like two hours before the pay per view starts. So there's kinda of like the thought, Well, Brett and Brian are you know, they weren't like best of friends, but they were friends and, and, mm, they and did the and, heart, Foundation, heart thing. Foundation. That was a
0: pretty successful yeah, angle
2: so, that they so, had there. So so and you know, Brett Brett's rep was that he was always late for everything. Right. So it wasn't really that concerning at first because it's like, well, Brett's not here and Brian's probably with Brett. Mm-hmm. But then Brett walks in and there's no Brian and he hasn't been with Brian and then they're going like, you know, where is it? Whatever, and so they call the hotel, and I guess the hotel had just opened the door in the room, and he was dead. Hmm. So Vince goes on um, the pregame show. This uh, uh, God, you just imagine. I'm just watching the pregame show before pay per view, not thinking anything, and Vince breaks in with this thing of, you know, Brian Pillman died, and I was just like, oh. wow, you know, and, and so the first thing I do is call his wife, and she's just freaking. And I was just freaking. And I'm sure everybody's freaking. the one thing I remember about that show is like nobody had a good match, except Sean and Undertaker had one of the greatest, they the first, it was the first Hell in a Cell. Mm. And they had like really one of the greatest cage matches in history that night. And I just watched, I'm like kind of in this hazy blur like not really being able to enjoy the match mm-hmm. going like, God, I think this is like the best cage match I've ever seen in mm-hmm. my life. I think because mm-hmm. I had to watch it later, two days later to, to yeah, you can't really pay attention. Yeah, cause, 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 and it's just like, and it was, it was really Sean. I mean, not that undertaker wasn't yeah, you know, was at his peak, but it was, Sean was just incredible. And it's like, how? wasn't it the debut of Kane as well. That was the night yeah. Kane debuted. Yeah. 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 And I'm just thinking like, how can Sean do a match like this? on this day when nobody else can even work mm-hmm. and I was just like you know Sean was one of the greatest of all time anyway but it was like I was just like wow that but but you know Vince and I know they never they never told the people in the building and Vince didn't know from what I gather he was going back and forth should I even go on the air with her or wait until like the next day let the pay-per-view go but he made the call to say it on the pregame show and I think they mentioned it once or twice on the air and um Yeah. Was he supposed to have a match that night? Um, There was something where he was... uh, They were doing a thing where um, Terry Runnels was uh, Marlena. Mm -hmm. And so he was doing the thing where he had Marlena before Goldust did. And they were going to do a program where... He won the services of Marlena, and then Marlena was going to leave Goldust for him in the storyline. You know, after the thirty days were up, and stay with him, and send him and Goldust. We're going to do the big program,
0: the Triple X Files. I remember that's what's called right. The Triple X Files.
2: Yeah, right, right. So yeah, that was he was
0: a, you know he was a key part of that pay per view, mm-hmm. and they you know they had dropped the angle cold and all that. But yeah, it's it's amazing to think about that. Like you said, it's almost twenty years ago, and the fact that that happened a few other times right afterwards you're talking about the Owen Hart incident was right before this no it was 99 so it was a couple of years, oh, a couple two, of years two, later, two years later was Eddie's Hart. thing so well, it's not around the same time but it's, it seems like such a long time ago but it was very much the first time that somebody had actually passed away before a show that they actually had announced it and then they had to do it again with Eddie had to do it again with Owen had to do it again with Benoit it was just a, kind of this rash of guys yeah and that, that may have been the first one I don't remember if they brought everyone on
2: stage or not but I think that they did wasn't there some kind of controversy afterwards with Melanie? and because. Yeah, Cause, 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 so Melanie talks to Vince Vincent is talking to Melanie and Melanie's just like she she wants to like give this message of guys you know like like don't do the pills you know what I mean don't let the business kill you type of a thing and so Vince like wants to put her on the air but it was a real bad situation it was very awkward but they put her on the air on, on and they like they're, live Brian live, it, widow yeah right Vince is interviewing Vince is when he was sold TV announcer he's interviewing Melanie and they're they built it up throughout the entire show like it's a ratings thing. And it kind of like felt like it was, mm-hmm. which made it bad. And then just the chemistry between the two of them. She wasn't ready to be on the air. And Vince asked like, you know, like Vince goes like, well, how are you going to support yourself? Which probably like to a wrestling fan watching is is, is not, you know, and then her reaction, she doesn't have really an answer. And it just it was very awkward and bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It- I, I just... Like people were furious at it, and I was just like, "Look, the guy, guy just died. Nobody's judgment's the
0: best right now." Yeah, like, yeah. like, I wasn't mad at Vince over it, um, but a lot of people were. Did did he kind of? Uh, I'm, when somebody passes away like that, do they pay out the contract, or how does that work? I think that Vince paid out the contract. Mm. I think um, I'm not not maybe not for
2: the the whole three years i mean i don't remember she definitely got money and they did like a fundraising magazine for him and everything and there were times where like you know vince did loan her money which i'm sure you know he never got back um you know like down the line i mean i know vince he was better than most bosses i think would be but you know yeah yeah. you know but i'm sure that there's the you know whatever I, i mean i i i I don't know the whole story there. And then Les Thatcher would do the benefit shows. I did one of those. Right, right. Yeah, And I went to a couple of them and everything like that for a couple of years
0: until, you know, it became a mess, unfortunately. Right, right, right. As, as those things usually always do, the, yeah. the more the years go by. Right. So uh, do you, uh, I mean, this is kind of a ritual, but would, would, do you miss talking to Brian? You- yeah. You know what? I mean, like, you know, like, it's
2: again, it's 19 years, so you don't think about it as much yeah. now. But, like, you know, literally, what is it, five weeks after he dies is the Survivor Series thing, you know, with Brett and everything. Oh, right. So at that point, you know, number one means Brian. and, and But but Brian was one of those guys that, so like, whatever was going on in WWE, when he would, like, when we would talk about it, Brian had, like, this take that was always, he was a really funny guy. It was always, like, hilarious. Like, he would tell the story, and it wasn't even embellished, but the way he would tell a story would be like just hilarious and you know like i mean i remember like once when um, when he first went to WWE and he's he's telling me the thing about um uh china and triple h mm-hmm. and it's just like you know they like their relationship was like this is the point where nobody knew they had a relationship right okay but they were they were together on screen and brian is like telling me this and he's telling me this like in this way where like you don't know if it's if he's like completely pulling your leg and but it's like this hilarious story about like they went in the room together and go so what they worked together he goes no you don't understand and i go yeah you're, you're paranoid you know like that but he goes no 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 i'm not you know not, and i'm thinking he's just completely pulling my leg on this one right but he would but i when that happened and everything was like that that hit me because it was just like brian watching this story unfold and then whenever like there would be another weird story that would go on in wrestling that's when i would miss him because he would like have this just like completely all over the top Reaction that would be just hilarious to cut through like all the bullshit of, the, of everything. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I would I would miss him when something big, really big, would happen in wrestling that was kind of confusing and everything. And Brian would just make it into some you know yeah.
0: ridiculous comedy. Right, right, right. The Billman way of doing things. What is uh, is there a match of his? Last question for you. Is there a match of his that stands out for you as being as, as your favorite? I think probably the Liger match on the Super Bowl pay per view oh. would be my favorite. Um, in Milwaukee,
2: um, you know because he had. That was kind of like um, for him too when he started like in Calgary and everything. I mean, those were the guys he watched the tapes of, and Yamada was there in Calgary too. You know, before he became Jushin Liger, right? And then he'd become a really big star in Japan at that point, and then they were bringing him in to the United States. Where and, and again, the people in WCW didn't really like. He was hot, and people talked about him. Liger, we're talking about, but they didn't really know how to get him over or anything. So it was kind of like we'll put we'll him with Brian, and they worked like a, a string of house show matches that were just blowing people away. And that was the the pay per view match. Mm-hmm. And um, but Brian was like like showcase, you know, like seventeen minutes of like you know what I mean? Like you know when you, when you're there and they're going, you, you got. You can work with somebody really good, and you got six and a half minutes yeah, or, right, right, or four right. minutes or something. Yeah. And, you know, it's like this was like he had the time, and it was like the dream opponent, like the one of the best guys in the world. And it was on pay-per-view. So that was um, – Didn't they also have the first match
0: ever in Nitro history? Wasn't it Pillman and Lider? Yes, it was the first match in Nitro in, history. In Minneapolis, right? In Minneapolis, the Mall of America. Which is where he passed away. In Minneapolis. In, in Minneapolis at the Bloomington or something. Which is also
2: where Eddie passed away. Eddie and Brian passed away in the same city. That was freaky when yeah, Eddie yeah, passed away because yeah.
0: I thought about that right away. You know, it wasn't the same hotel, but it was like, yeah, it's funny. A lot of similarities between you're telling me about stuff. How Eddie would force himself to work, uh, Very even if he similar. was hurt, because he thought he had to, uh, you know, pay pay for his sing for his supper. And another one too is when you said that Brian, if he had a little bit of a gut for us, we wouldn't even notice. For him, he was, felt like a fatso. Eddie was like that as well. Yeah. A lot of similarities between those two guys. Yeah, and and just the whole perfectionist thing yeah I think you know again both wanting to be
2: main event are so bad and yeah. so good and and you know being held back I mean Eddie Eddie did get his run at the end yeah but you know for years and years you know it, who was better than Eddie but he was you know at that level yeah you know, yeah you know, he they, was stuck there they never they never let him I want to tell you real quick the the one the two the two things which because these were the two highlights of his career one was when Tom Brian Brian when Brian was in the horseman he just gotten in the horseman and they they, they, Sting was in the horseman too And they did the big turn on Sting Which is had been done before yeah. But I remember Brian calling me up And he was just like That was real heat That was real heat It was like You know it's like I gotta go for the heat And it's like You know he was in Like a main event program With Sting And with Ric Flair And he's standing there And he's like a focal part Of the thing And he was so happy mm-hmm. About you know Finally yeah. being in there Because this was the greatest Night of my career And the other one Which later superseded As the greatest night of his career Was the Calgary Stampede Pay-per-view I was gonna mention that yeah okay and brian when when this is going on okay the 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 whole thing where brett's like a baby face in in canada and a heel in in the united states States, right so brian and brian's kind of with brett and owen and they're all in this this group and brian is just like what is Brett thinking? Well, this is the stupidest thing because Brian wanted to be full hardcore heel all the way. And Brett wanted to be super heel in the United States, but still babyface in Canada. And Brian thought, you couldn't do it. Mm-hmm, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, this is, you know, what's Brett, you know, doing? He's got to go hardcore heel. And he was thinking like that. So Brian was like, just wanting to be heel. And so that night, they have that, that match in Calgary. And, of course, you know, Brian starred in Calgary. He was very fond of Calgary sure. in, 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 you know, in a lot of ways, knew the people there. And they were, like, super over his baby faces. And I, he called me up, like, right afterwards. And this was the greatest night of my career. He goes, the crowd reaction, this and this and this. And he just goes, man, we were so wrong about Brett. Because I was <laughs> agreeing with him, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, how can you be a... You know, on the same show because we were so wrong about Brad. Because this angle was so like going to be so huge with Austin, and you know, I mean, he rode that
0: angle. You know, he died in the middle of the angle, unfortunately. Oh, he was still going on. He well, was still in the Heart Foundation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was at that pay per view at Calgary. We had. The, I happened to have the day off. Oh, really? WCW, and I went. I'll just remember how crazy the reaction was. Like one of the greatest, killer, craziest reactions of any crowd I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, because they were so over the top with 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 the Hart Foundation, right? Know? And and you know,
2: it, again, it's like even though they were like heels on television, I mean, they are you know Brett and Nightheart, I mean Owen, yeah, you know, Dave, I mean they're, Davey, yeah. they're you know and and, and Pillman, they're like the local guys. These people in Calgary watched them and their star. Yeah. I mean, they were so loyal to them, and Brett was like a total superstar by this mm-hmm. point in time. Um, and then on the other side, you had you know Austin, who was just so freaking
0: you know. Catching Fire by this point, yeah, and Gold Dust was hot at the time. Shamrock was hot at the time. It Shamrock really-
2: was, was, was an animal in them. Road match? Warriors too. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So it was a real great mix. I'll never forget. I was going to mention that if I just mention my favorite Pillman match, even though it wasn't technically great, just the atmosphere of it and his role in it too, because he was really good with the things that he did. Would be that one. So yeah, yeah. But that was absolutely his favorite night of his entire career. Wow. Yeah. I wow. mean, like I remember him. Yeah, yeah.
2: He was just like. It was just like that was, and I, I'm so glad he got it because you know, again, he you know he died on this is what was this in July? Yeah, so Stampede th- Week, right? Wasn't yeah, it? Three four months later, and you know he died in October.
0: Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was he finally got his uh his Luger main event. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Okay. It was cool, remembering that. And now, reflections with Raven. If you love someone. Set them free. If they come back, they have Stockholm Syndrome. Call the
2: cops and have them arrested for stalking.
0: For more Reflections with Raven, listen to The Raven Effect on the Jericho Network via the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts. Raven and his co-host, Busby, will keep you laughing uh, every Monday with the name game and their version of the news, uh, quote-unquote. And Raven's always got some great wrestling stories to throw into the mix, so subscribe to The Raven Effect at Apple Podcasts and be sure to leave them a five-star rating and review. Subscribe to all the podcasts on the Jericho Network so you never miss an episode. Team Tiger Awesome Show on Sunday mornings. Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon on Mondays. Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus on Tuesdays. The flagship show. The Keeping It 100 with Conan every Thursday. Thursday and Beyond the Darkness, new episodes every single weekday. Uh, They're gonna scare the pants off you. You can get in on their True Crime Tuesdays as well. Dave and Tim, the two guys behind Beyond the Darkness, are also doing a weekly True Crime Tuesday podcast. But you can only get that by signing up at Patreon.com for just five bucks a month. You'll get a new episode every single Tuesday, and the episodes are all commercial free. No commercials. So sign up now at patreon.com. Uh thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Dave Meltzer for for coming back on Talk is Jericho to share his stories and memories about Brian Pillman. Always a great conversation with Dave and always great hanging out with you guys. And uh, thank you for listening and thanks for for supporting the great sponsors of Talk is Jericho who enable me to do this show for you, Sexy Beast listeners, for free for twice a week, talking about Geico, talking about True Car. Thank you for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines. Coming up next... And, speaking of coming up, next Wednesday, right here on Talk is Jericho, we got, ha, these guys have been around following me for years. They just show up everywhere. They just showed up on Talk is Jericho. Talking about the Singh brothers, talking about uh, Gerv and Harv. They are, uh, of course, the uh, minions for Jinder Mahal, and they have been on the uh, wrestling scene for years and years and years. Good couple dudes, and they're... uh, very, very cool to drive from Orlando to Tampa to do Talk as Jericho with me. They will be here on Wednesday. That's right. The Singh Brothers are going to be here in the meantime and in between time. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boom.